1: it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist hello and happy new year to you all we're back after a Christmas period of brutally contrasting fortunes returning after a bit of a hiatus broken up by our WGT Q&A on New Year's Eve Eve uh, to bring you a look at the second half of the season aided and abetted by the excellent Adam Hotcroft who we're nice delighted to have on the pod today also of course I'm joined by Nick you right, mate, good new year?
0: Yeah, I had a really good uh, New Year's. Thanks, Tom. Um, but I'm ready now for 2019, ready to kick on with the second half of the FPL season. Uh, just to say quickly, of course, that we are Who Got The Assist? You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL and use Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you'd like to listen and subscribe. So welcome to the pod then, Adam. It's great to have you on board. Uh, for those that don't know you from Twitter, would you mind introducing yourself to the good people?
2: Yeah, of course. So, firstly, uh, thank you for having me on. I think it's my eighth season now uh, doing FPL. Um, I've done. I've, I've got a fairly decent track record. So, I've been in the top ten k on five occasions. Um, I think last year was my worst season. So, I hit rock bottom last year. So, it was. I think it was 32 k. But I'm hopefully going to bounce back this year. So, I'm, I'm up around the six k mark. Um, had an all right start to the season. I think that said, you see, other people on Twitter that are in, you know, the top hundreds that you know makes you feel that you are maybe not doing as well as well as some. But overall, fairly fairly content with how things are going. I think on Twitter, um, I've only really been on Twitter since around March, April time, and it really took took off when I started posting stats. And I think a lot of people seem to to find them relatively. Uh, interesting it's all stuff that I research and look at anyway so I thought I'd just start sharing it with the community and then I mean, that's really where I got involved with the community and it's been you know I've got to say I really enjoy interacting with the managers on there I love the difference of opinion I know some people don't necessarily like being challenged I love that I think it's uh, I think it's healthy and in some cases it's it's good to have new ideas or, or actually to think well, actually maybe I am wrong on that because um, I don't think you will get everything right in FPL
1: Brilliant. Cheers, Adam, and uh, welcome to the pod. Excited to have you on and hear your thoughts this week. Adam is at Hopcroft 13 on Twitter. So on this pod with Adam here, we'll of course be discussing stats and their usefulness to FPR managers, what's worth considering, what's not, before using what we learned to maybe help identify some individuals managers should be considering now, or ways in which we can use stats to answer some of the burning questions out there um, as we head into the second half of the season.
0: Yep, sounds great. And uh, thanks for all the questions again, everyone. Um, So let's start with the game week reviews then quickly. Adam, as the guest, you first then. How did you get on over Christmas and um, how has your game week just gone?
2: So I suppose game week's 18 to 21... It was very mixed. Two bad game weeks sandwiched with two good game weeks. So I started off with a 39, game week 19, got 81, then 71 in 20 and 48 last game week. I think the game weeks I did well just was purely because I got the captaincy right. So a captained Hazard against Watford um, and a captain Pogba against Bournemouth. And that had a huge, huge impact on, on, on my rank. My ranks dropped a little bit. So I started Christmas at three and a. 3.8k, I'm now around 65 but to be honest, I'm fairly content to be consolidated in the top 10k, because I remember this time last year, I don't even think, I, it took me 20-odd game weeks to breach the top 100k, and and so I'm, I'm fairly fairly pleased with where I am. Um, there's a few things that I got wrong, but um, overall, I think I benched Rashford last week, um, because I had quite a strong front front eight, and decided to start in my next. bench, Wan-Pasaka over Bennett things like that but overall fairly content.
0: Yeah it sounds like you're doing really well there actually yeah uh, being in the top K and all so yeah well done. Um, I had a pretty good Christmas as well you know a couple of really good game weeks. Uh, the last game week wasn't particularly good though I kind of backed Eden Hazard I guess in a big way. Tried to put aside my past differences with him and sort of make a neutral what I saw as an unobjective decision that he was the best person to bring in this game week perhaps I should have stuck with my objective opinions on hazards all along because he uh, proceeded to blank I also gave him the captaincy armband as well which was a bit of a mistake probably should have stuck with Yang for that so it was a minus four as well 48 uh, which was a red arrow but uh, sort of down to about sort of 70k now um, overall rank but quite pleased that I'm sort of you know in and about the top 100k at this moment in time you know Alonso delivered the points um over the sort of Christmas period Son and Pogba um, and Mo Salah sort of really smashed it for me and they were kind of the key men I guess um, in my team that did really well so yeah pretty decent Christmas uh, unlike you I'm afraid Tom you've, you've kind of hit a little bit of rock bottom haven't you
1: yeah, I did. I really laid the smack down on my season over Christmas. I just, uh, after that ill-advised minus eight on the Salimo Salah, I tried to kind of stick to that strategy. Uh I tried to stick to the two big front men strategy in Kane and Nourbamiang. And it manifestly didn't work. Uh, week after week, I just saw red arrows in front of me. Yeah, you know, this past week, I ended up with a 49 points minus four, brought Hazard in, same as you. And uh, yeah, he he totally chokeslammed me into another red arrow. Um Annoyingly, this was the week that Aubameyang and Kane did decide to show up together. It's been a really, really poor period for me, and I'm just hoping I can bounce back over the the, the next kind of few weeks. And uh, getting Mo Salah in somehow is uh, perhaps the next thing I'm going to be looking at. And luckily, um it's the thing that we've been talking about perhaps a little bit today in terms of talking about stats on the pop of Adam here. Just before we leap into our kind of uh, topic today, I just want to say that it's obviously a completely valid way to play the game using the eye test and your assumed knowledge of football. It's enjoyable. I get that. Adam gets that, Nick gets that, and we're not saying don't do that. But if you've listened to us, you know that we love to use stats to evidence our assertions and our ideas, and with Adam on, it's a perfect topic to discuss today. So starting off on Adam, in terms of stats, what do you look for and what do you think is important to remember in that regard?
2: Yeah, I think think the first thing is putting everything into context. I think a lot of people will will look at the raw data and, and think, well, you know, maybe take XG is a really good example of this. They'll look at a player that's over or underperforming and think, well, because they're underperforming, they're bound to score goals. That's not always the case. I mean, you know, if you look at someone like Murata, you know, I couldn't care less what his XG is. I think you've got what the big thing is just got to put everything into context. So the key things that I would look at for attacking players would be shots in the box, shots on target. um, Big chances, I'd look at their XG, where they're getting the touches. I think penalty area and final third touch is the key. And I think it's just using all of that information to try and draw up a picture of the player and, and how they're generally performing. I wouldn't really take any of them in isolation. If, somebody, I mean, if somebody's doing really well for, for shots in general, but everything else is low, it's probably a player that I wouldn't look at. I think the other thing as well is just knowing players really helps. Mitrovic is a a good example of this so we know he takes a lot of shots, we know he has a lot of headed attempts so if his shot counts high it doesn't necessarily draw draw attention to him but what it does do is if it's low it really put me off owning him. You tend to look at each individual player based on um, what they've done previously I think you've got to look at all the stats at
0: the end of the day and yeah like you said Mitrovic is you know a classic example of a of a player that looks really good if you actually look at the total goal attempts for all forwards because he's leading the way but yeah like you said a lot of his um, attempts are actually headed attempts he's had 33 headed goal attempts compared to Kane's 11 or Bamiyang's five and um, subsequently his shot accuracy is uh, sort of down at thirty seven point seven percent compared to Kane's forty seven point one and Yang's forty four point four, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of a clear indication that whilst he might be, you know, you know, breaking the bank in terms of one particular stat, you've kind of got to look at all of them, you know, put together. You've got goals, assists, and clean sheets, which obviously are the most important sort of stats that everyone knows because those are the ones that generate points. But if you're looking at forwards, you've got to be looking at. Not only how many shots has the striker taken, but what is their shot accuracy, how many are inside the box, how many big chances he's made. And, you know, looking at um, the opponents as well and uh, how many big chances they're conceding.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think Aubameyang's a really good example here. of something that you kind of mentioned uh, just, just before we were starting as well, Adam, because like right, one stat that I have been looking at more and more is Open Play XG. And over the last 10 game weeks, Aubameyang's Open Play XG, so excluding the one penalty he scored, is 8.09. But he only scored four goals from Open Play. And uh, I know he was one player that you were maybe thinking of getting rid of, right, Adam? But you have had a look at him. And has your view changed on him after looking at those that kind of data?
2: It's a it's a really difficult one. It's made making it an even more difficult uh, decision because my original plan and how I'd set everything up was to lose Aubameyang this week and to go big in midfield. But when you look at, I mean, he had four big chances against Fulham um, and only scored once. He's getting a lot of chances. He's the main man at Arsenal, so he's going to be very difficult to to let go. But I think the the key thing is there are other factors, and it's more about. What else can you do with your team? Is the better value elsewhere? You're absolutely right. His stats have improved massively. I think when there was the debate, the whole debate around it was probably about six or seven game weeks, wasn't it, Tom? Where there's a debate around do you go Kane or Bamiang or both?
1: Oh yeah, I remember that well.
2: Yeah, and, and it was the other. It was the other way around. It was the Kane's stats were better than Abamyang's, and it's, it's you know, and people were like, bamiang's not going to keep this up, and it's been a complete role reversal. He is typically a striker that. Um, usually matches his XG because he gets a lot of close range chances, and if you watch Arsenal, a lot of his chances are from you know the close proximity to the goal. So yeah, it's diff- difficult one as 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 to, to to whether to keep him or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think and that's an important point, isn't it? Like if you watch Arsenal and watch the football and you kind of understand what's going on in the wider context, like we always use the old kind of phrase that stats are part of, not the full picture. Uh, a really good example of this is is Man United, with Pogba coming back to a more central role in that. Little things like that and being aware of that is very important.
2: Yeah, so it was um, it was referenced. So when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over, I think it was after maybe the Huddersfield game, and I was debating whether to bring Pogba in, he referred to his forwards as a front four Looking at the heat maps, he's playing as a 10 rather than as a number 8 in midfield. midfield. So that was, a, that was a huge thing. And if you look at the way he's been talking about Rashford as well, the two players that um, Solskjaer's really been you know seeming to build a team around is Rashford and, um, and Pogba. So I think those sort of things do give the players a new lease of life. And you can see how confident they are um, in the first four or five matches that they've played.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think we've all been talking about this sort of tag team um, of sort of transfers between all of the premium assets and swapping them around and trying to fit in Kane, Aubameyang, Sallow, you know, even Sterling and Hazard as well, all into our teams. And, you know, the United players have really helped us to a certain extent since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came on because of the fact that they're so kindly priced that, you know, they're very easy to for us to, to fit into our teams. You know, Rashford's only 7.2, Pogba's only 8.4, and, and Pogba's stats are pretty brilliant, actually. I think, mean, obviously, the managerial change has really brought him out of it, but he's now sort of second in terms of goal attempts. He's sort of like, you know, right up there in terms of creating chances as well for his team. And, uh, yeah, definitely a, a good value asset, 8.4, someone that everyone should be considering. Hopefully, he's he's declared fit for the, for the next match.
1: So I guess in terms of understanding like stats are obviously a record of the history and what's happened and melding those of the context is really important. But I guess another dimension that's always involved with this is the fact that, it, you know, FPL is a game. So you do have some football stats, which are very, very useful, but there's also stuff like points per game, isn't there? That's really, really important. Adam, that's something that you use a fair bit, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. So I suppose a lot of my decisions are based off points per game and I can, you can break that down home away Versus top six versus non top six, and then you can actually match that up with the fixtures and, and make it an informed decision. So, it's, for example, say Sterling has got you know ten points per game at home versus um, non top six, and he's got four matches coming up in the next six for them. That would make him really appealing. So that I mean that's how you you can use stats to make decisions. But I think the points per game side of things, it really if you actually look at it, it really does show the value of midfielders and um, and defenders. I think the extra point for a clean sheet and a goal for midfielders over strikers really does add value. I think we looked at it before we came on. If you look at um, Kane and Salah, for example, I think Salah's classified as a forward next year based on what he's done this season, excluding bonus. He's getting the same amount of points as Kane and there's possible argument given... Kane's heat maps. he could go the other, the other direction and be classified as a midfielder <laughs> yeah. um, which, which be, in, yeah. he'd be the top scoring player in the game by some distance so but I think it, yeah points per match is really really important and then obviously the form of players points per match as well
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a key indication. I think obviously if um, Salah was priced as a forward, we might see some sort of change in terms of the value anyway. And it's looking likely that he's going to be reclassified as a forward next season. But we saw it with the likes of Anatovic and uh, Wilfred Zaha last season. And they were classified as midfielders and they got switched to forwards, which perhaps would have dented their appeal. But they also didn't have the price hike that they would have deserved, which made them still possible value assets and definitely yeah that point around midfielders um, getting more points is quite important That's one of the key reasons why I've sort of stuck with Mo Salah and and sort of more of an advocate perhaps for a a premium midfield and um, yeah I think we were going to talk about teams um, to a certain extent as well sort of how we look at sort of team stats as well and I think one of the key men that I wanted to talk about briefly was Hazard so Hazard is right up there in terms of his um, stats you know he's Producing a lot of shots, but he's also creating a lot of chances. And he um, he's uh, second for big chances taken for midfielders with 13. He's top for midfielders for chances taken with 56, which makes him a really appealing asset, especially considering his goal threat as well. But you have to look at his teammates, and when he's playing alongside Morata, I think this this off kind of you know puts you off Hazard a little bit. And you know from the eye test, we can see that Morata's missing a lot of chances. But you know the stats agree with that fact as well. Morata's um, taken 13 big. chances, chances but he's only scored three of these which is under 25 percent Kane on the other hand has scored nine of 17 big chances this season which is over 50 percent so you know conversely if you look at someone like Son he's managed to actually pick up five assists despite only creating two big chances this season so it makes you kind of look at the Spurs midfield and think oh they're actually quite a little bit more appealing compared to perhaps the Chelsea midfield, if they're playing alongside someone like Morata. though obviously it depends if Chelsea can pick up a forward that might, um, in the January transfer window, that really might um, make a hazard more appealing again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think just on team stats as well, I think yeah, it can work with, with, with players in the same team. I think where I really see it having a huge impact is where you're looking at captaincy decisions. So uh, there was a couple over Christmas, so, you know, captaining Hazard against Watford, where a lot of people were going, I think that was the week that um, Spurs played Wolves, and Wolves away in particular They'd only conceded eight or nine goals all season. They hadn't conceded many big chances. It was obvious they were going to sit behind and make it difficult in counter spurs. And I think a lot of people went with Kane. And whereas if you, the opposite, would, if you looked at Hazard v Watford, Watford come forward at home, they allow a lot of space. And if you watch that match, Hazard had so much space and so many opportunities. Um, so I think that can help. Um, and obviously, uh, Captain Pogba against Bournemouth, and it was exactly the same mentality. They'd shipped a lot of goals. I thought, you know, I thought he was going to get a lot of chances, you know, to, to to shoot and and be involved in the play. I thought he'd be playing as number ten. So I think looking at looking at those two teams in particular, it you know it makes sense. And I, I'd, I'd urge you, if you when you're looking at captains, to really look at the opposition, the number of chances they're shipping, the number of big chances. Um, I think sometimes as well, it's it's always, it's worth looking at captaining players that are playing away from home because I think they potentially will get more space and I think space is the, the thing where, where you're more likely to score chances and um, particularly on the counter-attack.
1: You were saying about Mo Salah perhaps having uh, Mo Salah owners having a bit of a maybe having cause for concern over the defences they're facing over the next few weeks.
2: I, I, I think just to put this in context, so the next three fixtures for, um, for Liverpool are Brighton, Palace and Leicester. And those defences over the last eight games have performed relatively well. So Palace have got four clean sheets in eight. They've conceded the fifth least shots in the box and 6th least big chances. And I think they put up you know strong performances away at City and at home to Chelsea. So I think I think you can still bank on Salah getting something, but I don't think it's going to be a four or five niler. Um, Brighton you know, have only conceded six big chances in the last eight. They're quite tough at home. Um, you'd expect Liverpool to win, but I don't think they'll, they'll walk over them. And then Leicester, you know, have only conceded six goals in the last eight games and they've played City, Chelsea. They've had a quite quite a, you know, they've had some tough matches. So I think when you compare it with the likes of Kane, Kane's got Watford, Newcastle and Fulham in over the same game weeks so, or... Over, over, over a similar period of time. So I think it's, wor- it's definitely worth factoring in um, before you make the decision.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I think kind of fixtures generally are, are where we should be really looking next because I mentioned before that stats are a record of what's going on. And in FPL, a lot of the time, it is a game of prediction. It is a game of trying to anticipate the outcome. Like we talk a lot on Twitter about whether it's uh, luck or skill that play the biggest role. And a lot of the time, I think that our answer would be that uh, the, the skill in FPL relies on you putting yourself in the position where you're m- most likely to benefit from the luck when it goes your way. So in terms of fixtures, then, a very good example of this is perhaps Callum Wilson at Bournemouth. I was looking for him in the stats recently because I've been potentially looking at selling Caners. There may be a question on this later, Adam, for you. Um, but I was looking at a, a way of selling Kane to turn Martial into Salah, and I was kind of you know I had seven point seven point zero wish to kind of spend, so I was looking for him, and he's completely fallen off. Like he is um, in terms of you know attempts on goal, he is so far <laughs> down the table that I had to do a control F to find him. Like absolutely power slammed by the by the very very poor fixtures they've had. But you know within game between games one and ten. Bournemouth only play one team in the top six or the top five as we've probably called it now. United start coming back um, in that period. And um, in that period, Fraser and Wilson were, were staples in many, many teams. And you still see it now, they've got a high ownership because you've got the, the teams who have stopped playing, that still have them in, who were active around that time. Fixtures then, to what extent are they useful in helping us to predict what's going to happen going forward, especially perhaps these players who are more vulnerable to kind of fixture strength? Um, Nick, what do you think about that?
0: So, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. I always look at the fixtures um see who they're playing. Like, you made a very good point on Liverpool earlier, Adam, about their about their fixtures at the beginning of the season, we create our fixture ticker and it's all in green, which makes Liverpool look pretty decent in terms of their fixtures. But, you know, Brighton are a tougher team to play. Crystal Palace are a tougher team to play. They've got eight clean sheets this season, which is matching Manchester City. It's more than Arsenal. It's more than Manchester United. You know, they've been pretty defensively solid this season and Leicester have too. So maybe it's not as easy as uh, we'd like to think. And conversely, um, I captained Mo Salah when um, they played Arsenal at home, which... You know, it sounded like a bit of a gamble considering Arsenal were considered a top five team, but they've actually fifth for shots on target conceded this, uh, this season. So it wasn't too much of a gamble in terms of the underlying stats and managed to get a captain Hall out of it as well. So it is always worth considering the underlying stats when you're sort of investigating into the fixtures.
2: I'd agree with exactly what you said. And I think possibly the best example to show how fixtures can, can affect players is Mo Salah. So if you take the Arsenal game out, his record versus the top teams this season, I think he blanked in every other game. Um, so uh, for me, I think it has a huge, huge impact. And I think it's if you bring a player in who's got good underlying stats, that's got a good fixture run, you can catch them before their form kicks in. So um, we've obviously seen it with Bournemouth as well. I think that, you know, what they lost eight in the last 10 or something in, in, in that region. And I think you could predict it that they had a really a fairly easy start they will do well against teams in and around them, but they struggle against the top sides. And given that, I think at one point, they had nine of 16 matches against the top six. That's why I personally sold, sold Fraser um, at, that, at that time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I got rid of Fraser around then as well. To a, a little bit of a probium from the uh, Twitter article, but there you go. So um, I guess moving forward then, if we kind of take the steel chair of these stats and sit on it to create a, a utility and uh, give a, little, a few predictions for the future, I think, can we try to pick out maybe uh, an MVP uh, in terms of the stats that we're seeing? How are the stats helping you to make that decision?
2: we've just past mid midway point of the season. So I think looking at the whole the, the season on the whole, um, I think there's been a few players that have, uh, have stood out. I think of the forwards, the player that for me that has stood out most is Aguero. And what's really interesting is he's played, I think it's, it's four or five matches fewer than, than, than Kane, but I think he still had the most touches in the box, boxes for forwards. He's, he's averaging four shots a game. Which I think is, um, you know, incredible, and he's just just an all-round great player. I think he's got he's got everything—goals, assists—to his game, and I think given the situation City are in, he's likely to keep on playing. I know you're referring to Aubameyang there, yeah. I think last eight matches, his stats are, th- are, th- are through the roof. You, you can't really put a case against him other than he's got a couple of um, tough fixtures coming up. Um, in terms of MVPs, if you're looking across the different areas, I think one person to highlight and i don't usually look at goal goalkeepers that much but alisson has been incredible he's made the odd mistake but he save percentages the highest in the league 84% he's only conceded 10 goals in 21 matches and 12 clean sheets so you know it's a possible argument for going going for him as a as a premium keeper there i think looking, I, th- I think looking at um, the, the defenders one person, I think you could look at Doherty and, and Dean, who and, and I know um, Nick might mention in a second, but a lot. Alonso's had a lot of stick this year, and I think it's worth fighting his corner a little bit. Um, I think points for match he's done well, but he's had the joint most goal attempts in the league with PVA. Um, he's hit the post is it four or five times, so he's been, he has actually been been, been unlucky. And the st- one stat that I look at. For, for defenders his, his touches in the final third and passes received in the final third he is head and shoulders above any other player for those so he's getting in the right positions and i think when you watch him he does look he does look dangerous still and then the final ones so i've got just a midfielder um we've talked about him already he's pogba and this is, this covers the whole season he's had the second most shots of any midfielder and what's really interesting a lot of his shots are accurate so his, his accuracy is fifty three you know, considering he has a lot outside the box, he's pretty good Um, he's better than the majority of other midfielders and I think watching him, you know, he's taken that up a notch in the last three or four games, he's pushed forward into a 10 role so I think he's one to watch going forwards as well
1: yeah, no, absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. And you can see the rush on Pogba, as we'll mention in the market forces. Um, in the interest of brevity, I'm only going to mention one guy um, who has really popped out to me, and that is uh, Pereira at Watford, a uh, football manager favourite of mine, who uh, has definitely been showing up in the uh, in the attempt stats uh, going, uh, this year so far. And um, in the last six, he's had 17 attempts, 10 of which have been in the box, which is always a good sign for a midfielder. And he's playing wide a little bit and his role has changed a bit as well. So he's not showing up as creatively as did before. In some ways, he's echoing what uh, Felipe Anderson did. So Felipe Anderson started the season as being a bit of an art creator. Jan Malenko then uh, got injured and then he moved to being more of an incisive player. And it definitely is the case with uh, Pereira as well. He's got, he's, he only cost 6.3, so he's a little bit of a... Uh, maybe one of those enabler players or one of those kind of cheaper players who may be able to help you. And between Game Week 22 and 27, uh, they only play Spurs away in Game Week 24. Admittedly, there are kind of a few... Uh, the majority of it's are away, They've got Crystal Palace away, Burnley at home, Tottenham away, Brighton away, uh, Everton at home, Cardiff away. However, the point that we that Adam made earlier about kind of teams getting perhaps a bit more space away from home yeah. may be very very useful for him. Um, he takes a lot of shots in the box. You know, he could be quite a nice little differential for people uh, within that kind of uh, mid-range price bracket, which to be honest is a bit of a dead zone at the moment.
0: Nick, what have you been looking at in this particular area? Well, you mentioned uh, Roberto Pereira. I think it's worth mentioning his uh, sort of namesake and uh, perhaps distant relation. Ricardo Pereira has actually been uh, breaking the walls down recently, according to the market forces in terms of um, transfers in, you know, trying to bust that uh, template that we all have in defence. Pereira has actually been performing really well in terms of the underlying stats. He's had 115 tackles which is uh, 35 more than any other defender this season. And second, actually, is Wamba bissaka who surely is going to have a big move in the summer, I, I predict. And, and a price hike at FPL. So we've been very lucky to have Wamba bissaka for that 4.0 that we bought him for most of us at the beginning of the season. But Pereira um, has been performing brilliantly um, in terms of his underlying stats, as I said. And he's picking up the goals and assists and clean sheets. So he's definitely one to monitor um, in the short-term future. I think, for me, the stat MVP... Um, this season, though, has been uh, Mo Salah. I think he's definitely got the X factor. His, his stats have sort of been power slamming the rest of sort of, you know the midfielders out there. He's had thirteen goals, which you know, more than all other midfielders. Penalty box touches, 165, second only to Sterling, with 169. He's top for shots on target with 33, top for big chances taken with 19, top for goal attempts with 69, top inside the box with 50, and also top for minutes per chance out of all active minute midfielders with 25.5. And yeah, um, like we mentioned, he's the top-scoring uh, player in FPL, and that's even though sort of Kane and Aubameyang have scored more goals, the fact that he's a midfielder, really makes that difference because he gets that extra point and he's also picking up those extra points for clean sheets and Liverpool are getting a lot of clean sheets at the moment.
1: Yeah, definitely seems a case of buy, buy, buy for most Solaris, just who goes over the top rate to buy him in.
0: I've got a couple of hidden gems for you before we end the section, actually, Tom. So Williams, one player I looked at, a 7.2. He's been a bit of a road dog, perhaps, this season, just not creating that gold dust, though. 48 chances created, which is actually third for all midfielders. He's seventh uh, for big chances with seven, and he's matching Hazard for a chance every 28 minutes, which is uh, better than all other midfielders with regular game time. So he's just as prolific with um, as creating those chances. He's also quite high in terms of goal attempts, with uh, 37. But, you know, the thing is, I think, if, if Chelsea can buy a striker in January, he could be a real bargain for the second half of the season at only 7.2. And, yeah, I think the other defender that I wanted to talk about, um, as you mentioned earlier, Adam, is, is Luca Dean, who's, who sparks a little bit of criticism, following two blank after his 17-point haul. But, you know, I think he's definitely value for money at 5.2. At 75 points, he's better in terms of points for value than Kane, or Bamiang Salah. Hazard and Sterling and as a defender he's got that triple threat of goals, assists and clean sheets and I think his goal threat is definitely there. We've seen it from the free kicks. He's had 22 goals, attempts of 19, only six less than Walcott, so one of Tom's favourite assets from earlier in the season.
2: Oh, no. um,
0: <laughs> but um, it's the chances created that's most impressive with him with 39, which is uh, more than any other defender by a whole 11 and that means when Everton get clean sheets then he will always pick up those bonus points and Everton's next Uh, Five are really nice actually. They've got Bournemouth at home, Southampton, Huddersfield, Wolves and Watford and I'm sure there's going to be some more clean sheets and more points for for Luca Dean in the next five.
2: I've I've heard a few Southampton fans talk about Nathan Redmond and I I can't remember which guy. It was the Arsenal game. He looked... He he had a a, a decent match. Um, I think he's got a couple of goals and an assist in the last few. I think at 5.2 million, he could be somebody that's resurrected under the new manager. So... At this stage, um, I think at that price range, I'd put Brooks ahead, but I think they've got a really good run of fixtures coming up. So I think he's definitely somebody to watch out on. I think the other one, and I do want to mention this player, is Marcus Rashford. I wouldn't say he's necessarily a hidden gem, but I think probably what a lot of people have talked about is Renaissance under um, OGS. I think actually, you know, in the last eight matches, he's got four goals and and, and, um, six assists so he's been he's been really prolific even under Mourinho he started to get a bit of game time towards you know towards the end of the Mourinho era as well I think given you know if he's played in his right role and there's no reason he won't be based on what Solskjaer said so far I think he could be somebody that could make a really really strong case Um, you know as a number nine at Manchester United a really attacking team with good fixtures for seven point two point three million, he can make a mockery of that price, and really, you know, he's got all the potential. Um, you know, he, he's, I think he's up there for shots, shots on target. So he he could be somebody that you know. I think I think a lot of teams will be considering. Um, very creative as well, which 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 I like. So I think he's he's, gonna, he's, he's in my team. He's going to stay in my team, and I'm honest, I back him to do really well.
1: I think he'd be one that I'd need a minus eight to buy. Unfortunately, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. You know, he's top for uh, pen box touch over the last six with forty, and um, that's something that's very, very important. And the versatility there with Rashford is very important as well. But anywhere across the front three, and um, so feasibly can slot into however Solskjaer sets up. Um, if we're going to end end the section I've got one more person to mention it's Ashley Barnes the number one Austrian striker in the Premier League <laughs> um, he's uh, currently joint second for attempts in the box with 16 he's also second for big chances he's had seven um, uh, over the last six of Aubameyang uh, with 11 up top um, decent fixtures coming up they've got Fulham at home immediately uh, Watford away Man United away which is probably less good and then Southampton at home and Brighton away um, so he could be a player who could definitely be considered especially with um now sporting a two week uh, a two week injury absence by the looks of it and he could definitely come into many teams as an enabler or come into teams as uh, you know the second striker which is kind of what I'm looking at him like and it's nice to have that kind of um kind of an emerging player coming in in that kind of le- at that kind of level and if we've you know we've said a little bit that the value seems to be elsewhere and we'll definitely talk about this later in terms of team structure and response to one of the questions if the value is elsewhere um then that is uh, that could be a good player to buy him. All right, uh, let's take a break there on the bombshell that Adam Hopcroft has uh, recommended Nathan Redmond to us. (laughs) We'll be back to you in just a second. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and we're going to do our feature section now. This is where we run for our uh, three regular things every week. It's the Market Forces, it's the Zombie League, and it's the All England team. Uh, The first bit is our section where we use our FPL NTR data to describe the moves and shakes
0: in the transfer market and the Market Forces. Uh, Nick is the man across numbers. What have you been seeing this week? So I'm going to start with a player actually at the top uh, at the bottom of the top five transfers in for a change. But that's Hung Min Son. He's had um, over eighty thousand transfers in this game week. But conversely, he's also fourth for transfers out with over seventy-five thousand transfers out. So in terms of net transfers in, it's only actually five thousand transfers in. And I think um, he's perhaps a key example of why the game it's not all about statistics. you have also got to factor in the real world because um, if you had a sort of an algorithm or a computer-based macro, they'd be signing up Son as quickly as possible right now if they weren't already in the team because for the last eight or so uh, game weeks, Son's performances have been absolutely fantastic. You know, there's been plenty of goals and plenty of assists and he's been quite affordable as well for 8.8 million. However, most will be aware, or maybe only a very small percentage of those who've actually transferred him in this game week Uh, will be aware that it's his last game week for a a fair while as he uh, shuttles off to the Asian Games. And and Manchester United is going to be a bit of a tricky fixture, um, actually, anyway, and um, especially now they've improved a little bit. um, And that might be perhaps the impetus behind the 75,000 or so who uh, transferred him out, considering the fact that, you know, it's it's pending vacation and a tough fixture means that maybe it's time to get rid. For me, I've, I've got Son, but I'm going to be keeping him for... Just one more game week, see how he fares against Manchester United. Uh, But it's actually Manchester United players that are most transferred in uh, this game week. Uh, Rashford's top of the transfers in this game week with over 130,000 transfers in. Uh, Pogba's third with over 110,000 transfers, and I think Rashford, um, you mentioned him earlier, Adam. they are a big fan. He's really hitting his stride with three goals and two assists in the last four games, and um, yeah, bargain price of 7.2. He can really act as an enabler to afford more premium strikers. Um, so, what do you guys think about Rashford and Pogba? Uh, definitely keen. Reckon you can double up on Manchester United. Um, what do you think, Adam?
2: Uh, I have, and I think I think for the foreseeable, definitely for the next five think Spurs away is, I don't think it's as bad a fixture as as made as, as, as can be made out. And I think the four after that are really good. Burnley, Brighton at home and then Leicester, Fulham away. So absolutely, I think they offer really good value. And I think this is a really good example of the fact with Mourinho leaving, it's it's left, It's left. Uh, resulted in a massive upturn on two players. So yeah, I'll be all up for uh, tag teaming them in, yeah.
0: Excellent. Um, the uh, in between them, sandwiched in between them, in terms of transfers in, is uh, um, who we mentioned earlier, though uh, Ricardo Pereira, who's, who's really breaking the walls down of that defensive template. Um, he's had over one hundred ten thousand transfers in this game week. Interestingly enough, it's uh, the defenders that are being sold: are Doherty, Alonso, and and uh, Laporte most heavily, uh, with over fifty thousand transfers out for all of, all three of those guys. And I think it's no surprise regarding um, the poor. To, um, those that still have him probably should have sold him a while back, to be honest, as Manchester City can't really keep a clean sheet, it seems. But it seems a bit of a strange time anyway, considering their fixtures are improving quite dramatically now. They've got Wolves, Huddersfield, Newcastle up next, um, Forest stiffens again, perhaps for Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, Doherty and um, and Alonso. Alonso, I guess I can understand to a certain extent, if you're trying to free up cash, not really sure about the Doherty uh, transfers out it kind of it, to me it kind of stinks of sort of like you know just uh sort of you know just looking at the last game week and not looking over the course of the season a little, little bit gung-ho perhaps and uh that's the same actually for the top two transfers out players that I'm looking at uh personally of bringing in in a week's time and uh is Richarlison's top for transfers out with over 90,000 transfers out and Philippe Anderson's a close second with eighty-seven thousand transfers out at the time of recording. Yeah, I was a bit surprised, as I said about that. Rashardson's a player I'm, I'm definitely thinking about bringing in. I mentioned um, Everton's brilliant fixtures upcoming, but it it seems like people are getting rid. You know, he's had um, sort of two blanks in a row. Before that, it was a couple of five pointers, so he's not you know bringing in the scores, but. His uh, underlying stats are brilliant. He's in the top five for midfielders for goal attempts, top five inside the box, actually second inside the box, and top five for shots on target. Um, so, yeah, I've been a bit surprised by that. I know you own both those, toms, so are you, you surprised to see those guys being sold or, or not surprised, really?
1: Um uh, not very much surprise to me anymore in terms of the market forces um i can see you always see these kind of uh, things every week like if a player blanks, he does seem to kind of appear at the top, especially if you have players you know like um in a similar price bracket so, you know Pogba, I can see why people may be reaching from son maybe reaching from through pants and maybe reaching from uh Rahad made that work um adam you what do you think about, about these sales? I know there's a few that of those players at your own, maybe the top five are all in your squad, right.
2: Yeah, the top five are all in my squad, so it's a bit concerning. I understand Son to an extent. I understand. I think Richarlison, given his fixtures, is a, is a bit confusing. Philippe Anderson, I, I can understand that. I'm, he's actually a player I'm considering selling, partly because I think they've got a couple of tougher fixtures in the next five, but also I, I quite liked him when Anatovic wasn't in the team. I think Anatovic is the main is the main man there. And I've got to sell someone if I'm going to be bringing Salah in, and I've got a fairly likes of Pogba and Hazard in there. Um, yeah, you've got. To, I've got. have got to, uh, somebody's unfortunately got to be the, the full guy. Is um, Jimenez in there as well? Did you say?
0: Yep, yeah, Jimenez and Hazard also in the yeah, top I,
2: five. So I can understand Jimenez actually. So on paper, his fixtures are quite are quite good, but I think. Maybe this isn't the logic everyone's using, but Tammy Abraham is pretty much, it sounds like a done deal. Unfortunately, it's a Villa fan. So that could have a positive or negative impact. I think personally, he'll play alongside and, he'll be, you know, Jimenez will be the guy that does a lot of the hard work for, for Abraham to, to, to finish off. But we, I don't know what effect that will have. And also as well, I think Wolves' fixtures, whilst they look quite good on paper, I always feel the better, a better counter-attack inside. And I think they've got a few fixtures where teams will just literally go to Monu and and try and play them on the counter-attack, let Wolves have the ball. So I don't know if that lends well to Jimenez doing well. I mean, I'll probably keep supporting him at 5.5 and he's 6.4 now. So, you know, he's returning okay for a 5.5 million player for me. So, yeah, I'll I'll probably stick with him, but Sal Anderson.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. The same with Anderson. I mean, you saw that um, you know our went off after 19 minutes, but David Gold has since tweeted to say that he's he's fine and okay. So it, it just seemed like it was a precautionary move. for an awful one from uh, from Pellegrini. <laughs> but, uh, nonetheless, seems like he'll be okay and still you know, prevents good value at six point nine. As you say, with him being the main man in the team, it may be that Fabian Anderson's output does diminish. Uh, the final guy to mention is Ryan Fraser. Um, he's also he's back in our uh, in our estimations. One hundred and seven thousand transfers in um, for him. Um, a- another interesting one there. I mean, he hasn't been doing very much recently, and as we mentioned earlier, we sold him after a decent kind of opening run. But after a golden assist against Watford in that crazy match, um, he has definitely kind of uh, re-entered a lot of people's thinking. A bit of a strange one to some extent there too, uh, with the man who holds the championship belt for eyebrow raising. Um, having a mixed fixture on to game week 30 when fixtures get very, very good for Bournemouth again when we're going to be seeing Wilson and Fraser being in every team. Um, but before that, they play four of the top six uh, between games 22 and 29, as well as playing Wolves at home. Um, and I'm not too sure that that's probably the best move, but equally, you know, it could really pay off the guy who been very creative this season and has created more big chances than anybody else. Okay let's move on to the uh, the zombie league then uh, This is our section we talk about We check on the progress of our shambling zombies Run by our unspecified family members Who live at our address as per FPL rules uh, This is our no chips, no transfers, no changes league And Nick how do your zombies do over the Christmas period?
0: Yeah, they did pretty poor, I think, to be honest. Uh, last particular game, I think it's Red Flag City with them. They've got five in total, three across the defence. I've, I've had to call the Undertaker for half the team, to be honest. But, you know, Arnie, um, Kane, and David Luiz' points um, meant that they managed to get somehow 40 points. I even got a one pointer from departure this week, which was fantastic to see. Um, no irony <laughs> meant at all there. Uh, how about your shambling zombies? How, how have they done, Tom?
1: Yeah, they've been doing all right. They got 71 last game week as a few players are beginning to return to the fold. So, Ericsson returns to the fold with a nine-pointer this week. You have Firmino with an eight-pointer. He's been returning over the last couple of weeks, actually. And uh, Armand Pereira uh, with a 12-pointer after assisting Jamie Vardy yet again this week. Over Christmas, done right. Uh, They've averaged about kind of 55, 56, something like that. Um, But, you know, overall, I think. Once De Bruyne is back, we know Pascal Gross, who was the vice-captain for the rest of the season, actually came back with an assist this week. So maybe it's going to start looking a lot better. Um, We'll just have to see. Uh, In terms of the Zombie League itself, uh, things have changed around a little bit, actually. Um, so at the top is Arno Vieta flying the flag for, for Finland. He is the uh, Villa Ronca of the Zombie League with 54 points this week. Captain Salari over Christmas has really, really helped him out. Uh, but this week it was Arnautovic with a 13-pointer. It was Kunigueru with a goal. It was Larissa in, in goal with a seven-pointer. And Dell Stevensnick, Nick, uh, someone that you great, greatly admire um, who scored a goal. And I believe you've got a killer stat on Stevens to share with us.
0: Well, yeah, Dale Stevens. We all know that I think last season he had the least goal attempts of active midfielders, um, and uh, yeah, this season he's repeating his uh, heroics. He's only had three goal attempts this season, and um, he's matching the likes of Carlos Sanchez, Phil Foden, and McTominay. I mean, he's had a chance every three hundred eighty-two minutes, which is the sick worst in the league. Yet he still managed to outscore Eden Hazard this particular game week, which was uh, immensely frustrating for for a lot of um, us. Hazard owners, as you know. Yeah, exactly. And
1: uh, later on in the league, uh, we've got the long term leaders, Thomas Storhal, still going along well. He's second uh, with Zombie Storhal with a 60 this week. In third is Ushka's Zombies, Ushka Khaki with 49. In fourth, it's Did I Win, Dr. Mister with 58. And in fifth, it's a new entry, it's Zombies, it's Susanna Topalian. Uh, she got <laughs> a 6 6 this week, a double clean sheet from Tompkins, Juan Bissaka, and Analtovich, Obamiang and Firmino up top did the business. All right, and the final thing to catch up on this week is the All England team. This is uh, back in the halcyon days of, uh, of summer when we were all full of hope and joy, to some extent at least. We all thought it was coming home after Kieran Trippier converted against uh, Croatia, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Uh, we were managing them over the Christmas period, sort of in between a lot of Baileys. So you know, there were times when the manager didn't really look at the team and uh, didn't do too well but uh, also captain of Kane over Christmas has seen them do okay uh, this week they got 60 points uh, captain Kane uh, Sterling came in Antonio came in with an assist at the back Trippier and Shaw um, risked the points and Jamie Vardy with the goal um, also uh, d- did fairly well for them uh, winning that game against Everton all right let's take a break there guys and we'll
0: move on to the questions
1: who got the assist who got the assist
0: So we're back and it's time to catch up with the who got the assist mini league. If you want to join the league and you haven't already, the league code is 516-441. And there's been a lot of change actually um, since we last did our update. Lots of new names in the uh, top 10 or so, but um, that shows the competitiveness of the league. It's it's still very tight at the top. Um, The top guy has 1417 points, but in 50th um you know we have 1354 so it's only about 60 or 70 points in between the uh you know point, uh, position 1 and position 50 so it can change any game week but uh, number 1 at the moment is Salve Barro with the Mendigos he did alright this game week pretty decent score 57 uh, cuz it was a low scoring game week anyway from any uh, captains Kane and Rashford sort of being the key players um, in second though was um, Alex Suarez who's on the tail he got 76 points with our Al- FC, really decent game week, you know, uh, got a few differentials in there. Son, obviously, Key, uh, Kane, um, and Rashford seem to be in a lot of these teams now in the top 10. Um, So Rashford, a real differential over Christmas, it seems. Uh, Kolasinac and Alonso got in points of defence as well. Uh, Third was a free person with AC Utofotofu, Uh, with 69 points. I hope I said that right. Uh, Fourth, a more familiar name uh, for us, um, Ashley Humphrey's been right at the top all season. Uh, with Kater Moyhart, um, he got sixty-three this game week. And um, rounding up the top five was George White with Snoop Inghol um, with fifty-seven points.
1: Yeah, very well done, guys. Uh, so let's move on to the questions then. And the first question this week comes from a few people, actually. It's uh, Tom Campbell, Alex Ball, friends of the pod, uh, General Zod and FPL JJ, uh, who ask us to talk about keepers with uh, Gun at 4.3 and Great R at 4.2 uh, coming to prominence. And uh, Adam, as well, you mentioned uh, uh, Alison earlier on as being a very good option. So uh, a bit of a hot topic at the moment, especially for those people who perhaps own Fabianski or maybe even own Edison. Say Edison. Get rid of him, guys. What, what do you think about keepers and what's maybe the ideal setup in your mind
2: going forward? Um, Adam, do you want to start with this one? You mentioned Guitar there. I think he's a really good option. If he's, It looks like he's number one at Palace now. Um, I think 4.2 million, three clean sheets in the last five. But he had good pedigree coming into this league. I sort of saw a tweet on that earlier. So I think he's a really good option. He's, I'd possibly consider um, at that price. I mean, he's only point two more than Hamer to bring him in to partner Fabianski. And I think he covers a couple of, of um, tough games for Fabianski there. Um, in terms of my ideal setup, um, this is the first time that I've, I've just had a set and forget 4.5 million. And I've got to be honest, it makes, it does make life a lot easier. And there's been a couple of um, you know times where I've got um, decent points for Fabianski. So I, I'd, I'd probably like doing that and actually saving the point five to invest elsewhere. I think there is possibly an argument for for going with premiums. We sorted De Gea last year. Allison this year has been a you know revelation. He's up there with with, with point scoring. So I, I think having one option personally is what what I what I favour. Um, I think if you can get it right, absolutely every week, and get all the fifty fifty decisions right, you possibly end up beating Allison for the. The money saved, but there's a lot of decisions you have to get right, and I'd probably say a lot of luck in there as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, Alisson's definitely been one who's been high on my list of players to bring in if I do have the chance. Like, I bought Fabianski in a few weeks ago, and yeah, it's, it's not been the best. You know, his currency. As always, as saves uh, Fabianski, and you know, he's still in the top six or seven for that. But it's not been as good. Um, I mean, you mentioned that Allison's uh, shots to save stat, which is absolutely ridiculous. But over the last six, you've got Mister Greater, eighty-one um, percent. So he's not very far off Allison in that regard. Palace, as you mentioned earlier on, Adam have uh, really tightened up. So. A number one goalkeeper for four point two—that's uh, that, that's definitely very very interesting. It could be something which could facilitate a lot for me, and I suspect a lot of other managers as well. As you mentioned, zero point five saving on Fabianski or zero point six saving depending on what your buy prices. Um, Nick, what do you reckon to do with goalkeepers?
0: There are some very interesting uh, goalkeeper cheap goalkeepers appearing. I think Button's obviously the other one that's sort of doing well in, in Matty Ryan's absence. Though we all know that he's only going to be there for a sh- you know a short term until Ryan comes up. Uh, comes back. I think my concern with these guys is that it could be one mistake and then there's something out of the reckoning again and we can see, you know, Hennessy perhaps recalled or McCarthy or even Fraser Forster sort of appear sort of back in the reckoning um within the team. And I think that's my concern. I did uh, suffer actually last season when I went tried to go ultra, ultra keep with goalkeepers. I had Elliot and Hennessy one particular game week and neither ended up playing. So I'm more of a fan really of a set and forget 4.5, maybe a 4.5, 4.0 model. And if my goalkeeper's going to be dropped, I'll throw in another one, but I don't really want to rock the boat too much. And I certainly don't really want to waste my transfers on a goalkeeper. Even if it looks like Fabianski is out of form, Uh, To a certain extent, or West Ham are out of form. Um, You know, I'm still happy him being there, picking up the odd save points and and returning occasional points. I mean, in terms of points for value, he's still massively up there in terms of all the goalkeepers. And you know, he's outscoring the majority of the premium goalkeepers. You know, he's he's ahead of like De Gea, who's had a bit of a shocking season, and uh, you know, he's he's up there with sort of Kepper and. uh, um, only Addison's really smashing it in terms of the premium goalkeepers. I think there's definite points for value with Fabianski and, and Efridge as well, really doing well this season for Cardiff.
1: Yeah exactly I mean Kepa is also quite a good one if you if we kind of look at the context of what you were saying Adam earlier on about um, Chelsea being very very good also very good shots to save ratio uh, 5.6 he could also be a player who could play a role for a lot of people Okay uh, moving on to the next question and quite an interesting one actually one we've spoken about a little bit off stream too uh, Matthew Jones Matthew Penneke asked which team structure is best for the rest of the season Adam you've definitely been thinking and you've definitely mentioned a few times that you're looking at divesting from the premium strikers and pushing the money backwards. And I know Nick you've got a, a long-term love of being big at the back so quite an interesting uh, discussion to be had here. Uh, Adam first what do you think in terms of that kind of team structure conundrum?
2: I think you can do well regardless of your team structure I think this year there's options at, at all levels. If I was wild carding and resetting now the one thing that I'd almost certainly do is only have two forwards maximum possibly four four two he maybe even four five one. He'd be the the one the the, the the formations I'd really consider. I think there's a lot of value at the back. Um, you, you met, Nick mentioned Pereira earlier. You know he's getting over five points a game, which is which is brilliant. Um, you know people like TAA. I mean, you, having the double up of of Liverpool defence alongside a Chelsea defender, and you've got you know when Leicester have good fixtures, it could make sense to have them. So I think I think you're going to get more value out of them than you are maybe your fifth midfielder, I, I would say, other than when Ryan Fraser had his real purple patch at the start of the season. Um, George Gabriel has just posted something on Twitter, and I've retweeted it because it's, it's a brilliant tweet where he's basically looked at um, points per million and come up with the best team that you, you could have for the for the season. So I think mean, that's a 4-4-2 formation. and um, includes a Bamiang and Wilson up front. And then four premium defenders, and I think and I think Hazard and Salah are in there as well. So, um, I, yeah, I, 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 for me, I think I'll, I'll be looking to have maximum two strikers, and then push the money back because I think there's more value there. Yeah, I,
0: I tend to agree with you there, Adam. Um, with a lot of your points made there, I think there's definitely map value for the money in um, in the defence, as I've been saying all season. Um, you know, but there's been game weeks where I've played five defenders, some four defenders, sometimes three defenders as well, and it often depends on the fixtures. And I think it's quite important to have a bit of squad diversity that allows you to kind of you know shift formation whenever it's required. Um, so for instance, I've got uh, Brooks as my fifth midfielder. I've also got. Danny Ings, hopefully he's fit again soon because there's not too many replacements for him at that price, unfortunately. But um, if it was a case that Brooks and Ings had an easy fixture and then the Sacker was playing Manchester City and, and Doherty had... Um, you know, Liverpool, then I would probably go three at the back. But conversely, if Brooks and Ings had tough um, fixtures and all of my five defenders had really nice fixtures, I'd probably line up at, at five at the back. And I know this opens up a little bit of a risk from, you know, bench points. For instance, when I I think the bench got the other week um, against Spurs and he got a um, an assist. And um, I've missed out on lots of Wan clean sheets all season. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's definitely um worth, you know, Experimenting with structures, but I am quite keen on, on the five man defence. You know, I, if I could, I'd probably try and swap Success and uh, Brooks and get a seven man defence if the system allowed me and get Taa and Pereira in because it's you know I like these guys a lot, but struggling to to fit them into the uh, the mould of my team right now.
1: I think that in, in this regard, it, it's really interesting, especially with regards to the next question as well, which is from Lee from FPL family, who asked if the third striker is a success ridden write off, or whether you know the likes of Solanke, and or Camera will do the job. But, you know, I've, I think we've both been running with three five two slash four four two for quite a while, and as Adam's just kind of highlighted with that tweet. A lot of the time, that seems to be the most effective formation. The value is at the back, the value is in the midfield. And to some extent, the, the strikers, you, you were happy with too. Like, If you could take the option to go to uh, six midfielders or six, seven defenders, and you definitely do it at, at this point. Because if you look at you know a 4.5 defender doing very well versus a, 4, a 4.5 striker doing uh, nothing, um, the, the value is there for all to see. Uh, on this third striker point, I know that that's something that you and Nick have been speaking about a little bit uh, Adam, what do you reckon in this regard?
2: I'm, I'm personally looking to move, move away and I'll be bringing in Cameron and I think he's okay for... He'll do a job off the bench. He, st- he seems to get game time and gets the odd goal. So, And you're never going to be tempted to start him. So there's no benching headaches there. So I, I think there's a few people to potentially look at if you do want to play three up the front. You've mentioned Ashley Barnes. I think one of the to watch out for if the move happens would be Tammy Abraham. At Wolves, I've watched him a lot at Villa this year he's been brilliant he's a proper goal scorer he seems to have developed a little bit more since it's his time at Swansea um, so he would be somebody that's interesting. I think he'll feed really well off Jimenez and whoever else they play up, 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 up top so I think he could he could possibly be an option I think another forward um, who's gone to the radar massively is Zaha so he, I think he's gone down to six so it might be a little bit expensive for the third um, forward slot. But the the one key thing is Benteke's on the verge of coming back and when Benteke plays, I think he makes Zaha a better player because of how he distracts distract players and he gets you know Benteke on his days is, is very very capable I think he had a terrible year last year but the season before I think he got 15 goals but I think he can actually make Zaha a better player and almost be like a foil and I think that's the the thing that Zaha's missed this year because if you look at it his goals and assists are really really low but towards the end of last season and when Benteke is in the side he looks a lot better Um I don't think there's any other people to mention. I think Rondón had a good run, but his fixtures are tough coming up, so maybe look at him in game week 26. But I think as we've talked about, I personally am looking to come off. I have Jimenez who probably be my second striker. Um, Yeah, so I I, I think there's more value elsewhere to be had.
0: Yeah, I think we're, we're often stretching when we start talking about the likes of uh, Benteke and, and Rondon
2: <laughs> in terms of first striker
0: <laughs> conversations. So FPL family, Lee, he mentions Camera. You know, he's kind of fallen out of the picture to a certain extent with Ranieri after he tried to, to claim a penalty and then, of course, missed it, which was a bit of a disaster as well. But then he scored the bench, so maybe he's he might be back in favour. Didn't uh, feature at all in the FA Cup match today, incidentally. And, and Donne, I mean, he scored in... The, in the FA Cup, um, I think um, with those sort of forwards, Abraham's very interesting case. But you know, he did struggle at Swansea um, when he played there previously. And we talked about uh, Championship footballers. You know, they tend to smash it in the Championship often, um, but tend to struggle in the Premier League. I think the, the sort of ultimate case that we once uh, talked about was Patrick Bamford, um, sort of doing a paddy, sort of when he, he would do really well in the Championship but never, never deliver. In the, in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, I have concerns in this position a fair bit with um, my Ings injury now, but I think I'm just going to go for a, a one man forwards and just have Aubameyang next game weekend and see how I get on.
1: I mentioned earlier with looking around for uh, Callum Wilson sort of, uh, sort of area like, think, I think there's so many caveats around players like if you can't get Rashford which is a situation I'm in unless I take a minus 8 it doesn't seem worth it like, you know Solanke for example injured until February <laughs> wow what, what a bit of business that was by Liverpool and uh, Abraham um, you can just see official FPL Pricing him at 6, 6.5, like something just ridiculous to you know, base it off the hype. move you know, with Cessignon, for example, was 6.5 at the start of the season. My favourite man... In FPL, Emil Benzer uh, was six point zero at the start of the season. God only knows what they're going to put Tammy at, but he was one that we really liked based on his Bristol City uh, performance. And as you're right, Adam, like he was one that we characterised as a bit of a poacher, um, very much in the kind of uh, an Aubameyang light sort of uh, character. So he could definitely be one uh, that's worth watching, especially with the fixtures as they are. It would be worrying, I guess, if you're a Jimmy owner. Um, if he does turn to kind of a Druid sort of character just setting up Abraham but um, yeah one to watch but for me now you know, I'm happy with success as being the third bencher and pushing that money backwards and I may even join Nick you know buy uh, Barnes and see what happens there or maybe even buy AK-47 camera I don't think he'll be pushed out I think he'll just be a uh, you know, brought on every now and again to take and miss a penalty. Who knows? Although I do note that Mitrovic missed one, so maybe he'll be back on penalties. Right. Uh, the next question is one for Adam. Uh, it is rubbish manager Tom89, who mentions that he managed to increase his rank by tenfold over Christmas and is now rolling with Hazard, Kane, and, and Alba. Doesn't have Salah. Um, so who should be sacrificed ha- for Salah in? There are lots of people who ask about top premiums. We've mentioned it a little bit already. Uh, FPL president, for example, asked about this too. Uh, so, Adam, if you were advising this mystery man, um, in terms of what to do next, uh, what do you reckon would be kind of the, the port of call there? What kind of thinking would you advise him uh, with Hazard, Kane, and Alba? Uh, who should be sacrificed to uh, to get Mo back
2: in? I think the first thing that you probably want to consider, and this would be down to individual preference, is alongside Salah, who would you captain? What weeks? Who would you be confident captain in? If you've got Kane in and you're not going to captain him in any games, I think 12.6 is too much, personally. And I think we're better off because what is his points per game? Six points, is it 6.2? But um, I just don't think it's worth it unless you're going to intend to captain him. I think if you do intend to captain alongside Salah, it's a totally different conversation. I think it's worth it. worth worth keeping them and losing one of the other assets so I think the first thing to do is go through the fixture ticker work out which players you would captain when and you'd feel most confident in captaining um I think the other thing to look at as well is Kane's a little bit more than Orba and um Hazard is what would you do with the extra money if nothing and or you've got a really good budget alternative then again it might be you're happy to lose um Bamiang or Hazard I think Bamiang's stats are, are really good at the moment um, I think out of the three having reflected on it Hazard's the one that that probably concerns me I, I, over the last two it's not Hazard it's exactly what Nick said it's it's his teammates now what will probably happen in the next week or so is that will go one way or the other I'm hoping Morata packs his bags back Back to, um, back to Spain goes to, I think it's talk of Sevilla, potentially. That would actually improve Hazard, in my opinion. So either be false nine, or be playing with Giroud, or potentially there's been talk of um, Cavani today. So that would, for me, really increase the prospects of Hazard. We, I know we're going to talk about it in a bit around the, the Son effect. It depends what you think of that as well, because um, when you look at, it, at the, the, um, the stats before and after Son's been there, and admittedly there's been other players like Ali and Ericsson that have impacted him. Out of the three, and it's mad that I'm possibly considering Salim, the one that I expect to do fairly well and be consistent is, is Aubameyang, because I think since he's been in the league, he's just been very consistent. I mean, he has got 10 goals and three assists last season. He, he's a similar ratio again this season. His stats are good. So I think, and he's good. He's a good price, and he'll get all of Arsenal's returns. I, I would expect him to score fairly well. He's got Cardiff at home. I think in the next seven or eight, he's got Huddersfield, Southampton. So it's good fixtures there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a it's a real raw rumble between the three of them, isn't it? And to some extent, it is about you mentioned earlier about it being you know, circumstantial to your team and being all about right. kind of what you think is best and, and how you're set up and the, the limitations that you have. It's a case of for this mystery individual and for the likes of FPL President, I'm put, uh, FPL President is a figly here. It's basically, you know, it could be me that we're talking about. It could be. Um, but uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of like you're going to make a, a pretty poor decision either way, potentially, because you probably wouldn't want to be selling cane on paper with those fixes ahead. It's kind of looking at that context, trying to understand how the stats, the context how these things all fit together and which one may be the best because Kane's a little bit more expensive and if I bring Salah in I'm probably not going to be capturing Kane so maybe he is the one to go um but it just feels like one of those decisions that'll never ever be forgotten again a lot like uh selling Salah for before his hat trick because I'm I'm betting that Kane now goes on the run which sees him win the golden boot uh Nick uh you've got a little bit of a different situation to me don't you
0: yeah I do have a different situation and yeah i I'm actually thinking of doing the opposite and, and bringing in Kane in, in a game week. Uh, and uh, this is because obviously Son's going away. And I think Matthew Halliday asked a question actually about this. He said, what's um, Spurs going to be like without Spawn and, to- and Toby asked, who do you replace him with? For me, I think um, Kane will be the player that I bring in, not this game week, but in game week 23 to cover Son and then probably um, downgrade Son um, to Richarlison. So I'm thinking of actually setting Yang. And if, if you're going to sell Kane, I'm going to bring him in. And then Kane, um, after your unmasking of Kane, it, I think it's just going to be raw as war, isn't it? And you'll be calling in that undertaker, as Kane is most likely going to get a hat-trick against Bulema Away, And knowing your luck this season, Tom, so um, when in doubt, do the opposite of you, it seems, I think, perhaps. But, um, what? You know, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, for me, I think Kane is the, is the player to keep still, personally, I think over Yang, but... My circumstances are slightly different because Arsenal have that West Ham fixture away and West Ham have been one of the poorest defences this season. Spurs have uh, Manchester United. So if you're making a move this week, you know, looking at the fixtures, Aubameyang seems like the one to keep. But then after that, they've got Chelsea at home and Spurs have put them away. So, you know, I, I don't really want Aubameyang for Chelsea. Then, you know, they've got a nice fixture of Cardiff at home. But after that, it's another tough fixture in Manchester City away, while Spurs have a you know, fixture run of Watford at home, Newcastle at home. And I've been playing so much premium ping pong this season that I'll probably get Aubameyang back in by game week 26 for that Huddersfield away match. So, you know, I think it's, um, for me, I think there's definitely a case of, Um, keeping Kane and I think um, obviously without Son they might look weaker but they do have you know other players um, in the team that can come in and play a supporting role. Mora might come in. Um, Lorente might even get some minutes and I still think there's definitely um, a case of I know you're thinking about somehow fitting in Ali or Ericsson as as your Spurs coverage for the next um, number of fixtures aren't you Tom? Yeah, I think that that might be the way.
1: It's not the case that I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to get rid of Kane and I'm going to avoid and shun Spurs for for that kind of uh, period. don't think I'd be getting Lucas Moore in 6.9 that's a little bit that's, 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 that's quite a, yeah no definitely not Tom stay away Tom um, but you know you've got the Meller as well kind of no again stay away um, so it would kind of be Aliyah so I think he'd have to kind of fit in there I do, I do know what you mean and there is the option to roll it this week and I uh, hope that Adam's analysis of uh, how solid Brighton are for example uh, means that they're a little bit more quiet um, Liverpool uh, against uh, against them and then kind of use two free transfers and then do everything that I want then. Um, on this Son question then, I know you're both owners. So this, there's probably a bit more for you and Nick is obviously a Spurs fan. Um, what, what do you think it's going to be like without Son for Spurs and uh, who are you looking to replace him with? Uh, let's go for Adam first there.
2: I'm replacing Anderson for Salah and then I'll Son next week probably for Ericsson or Sane. Possibly Ali as well would, would come into my thinking. He's been absolutely exceptional the last 10 game weeks. He's been the, the best player in, in, in the game, and um, you know, some of the stats he's returned are absolutely. I think Lucas Mora and Lamella do not offer what Son does, and that they're, they're, I mean, Mora might offer the runs in behind, but just he's just not at the same level. So, I think it possibly will have an impact on Kane. Um, I think as long as Ali and Erickson play, though, he should be okay. Um, and I still fancy him to do well. I think the fixtures, Fulham, Watford and Newcastle, the Fulham game in particular, I think I do mark that as the hat-trick game um, out of the three. I, just can see, I can see those three, him doing well. So um, I've got a t- contingency plan to get him in if I need him for um, the Newcastle and Watford game. And I'll probably have Erikson or Rally for the, the Fulham game. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do think... I do think Son is going to be a huge, huge miss for Spurs.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that they'll, they'll be weaker without Son. But uh, you know, they've they have been um, you know getting six goals, five goals, four goals, pretty much every game over Christmas, um, and with the sort of the Wolves game as as being one outlier. So you know, I still think that they'll they'll be strong um, over the next uh, five or so games and. Uh, yeah, especially that Fulham game away, which looks particularly tasty. But I think um, in terms of a Somme replacement in midfield, I'll be probably um, you know looking around the likes of Richarlison and Felipe uh, Anderson. So definitely seem to be going against the meta, considering those guys seem to be transferred out this game week. But Richarlison, I think, is my first choice at the moment. I've only owned him one game week this season where he got red. We decided to headbutt someone and got sent off. <laughs> I mean, minus two points overall for, for the season for him. But I mentioned um, earlier on with the pod, Everton's great fixtures, you know, Bournemouth this week. But then Southampton, Huddersfield, Wolves, Watford, and the fact that he's he's right up there in terms of the underlying stats. You know, second for uh, shots inside the box this season has been playing out of position. But uh, I think he's recently been shuttled back onto the left wing as um, Marcus Silver seems to be giving Dominic Calvert Lewin some, some uh, minutes. And he's Dominic Calvert Lewin's obviously another person we didn't mention as possible first striker to look at. But yeah, I think for me it's uh, Richarlison, um that would probably come in for Son, and then I'd like, use that funds to upgrade Aubameyang. To Kane.
2: I think I think one of the points to mention on Spurs, their fixture schedule is an absolute nightmare between now and mid and, and February. So they've got the League Cup semi-final against Chelsea. Um, they're obviously going to have the FA Cup next round. I think the gap between the Newcastle um, and Watford game isn't much at all. It's the you know it's, it's similar to what it was over over Christmas, and I think. They have got a lot of home games coming up, and I think that pitch is very, very draining. Uh, assuming they don't move grands, and I've not heard anything uh, anything about that um, prior prior to those matches. So I think I think they struggled with that schedule, and the fact they haven't got San puts more of a strain on Kane. Um, that could go one of two ways. I think if he's scoring, you know, it, it could have the momentum factor and be positive. If he if if Spurs are struggling, then it could have the opposite factor and actually they could become really tired and fatigued.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I understand that, and I guess with, with with Son, there is kind of a third option, which is to hold him. And uh, a few people that have been saying they'll do that. Um, but as a non-Son owner who's looking to buy him in when he gets back, can I just say I wish the Up Warriors, South Korea, all the very best of luck. I, I hope that they're there in in the Philippines for as long as they possibly can be. And I also hope uh, that there's a non-fatal sort of in sort of thing going on there that means the final is delayed. You know, like a, a loose rattlesnake or something like that, which means that he. It Stays there for longer, when people sell, and this price drops and drops and drops. And um, yeah, he's, he's definitely one to be buying in as soon as he's back. And uh, his importance to Spurs cannot be overstated based on the Christmas period. Okay, uh, let's move on to the end of the pod then. And uh, transfers and captains this week ahead, obviously. Um, we've still got a, a couple more, one more FA Cup game at Liverpool, and we've still got the League Cup to go. Um, but it's good to hear some kind of background thoughts, I guess, for you guys. Uh, Nick,
0: what are you thinking of doing first off? So I'm going to try and be stone cold this uh, this game. We can roll my transfer if I can. Um, and then that will give me two free transfers to make the, the son to the Charleston or have and K move the next game without taking a hit. So hopefully there's no injury crises. You know, hopefully everyone stays fit. I've already got Danny Ings injured, but he was um, always going to be benched for me this game week. And I've still got, you know, other players that might come off the bench. I like doherty. So... Yeah, for me, it looks like I'm going to be rolling. Um, in terms of captains, I've got it on um, Mo Salah at the moment uh, for the Brighton away fixture. There's not any real sort of standout options. I think the other one maybe that I might think about is Aubameyang, who's got West Ham away. But right now, I think I'm going to go with um, with Mo as, as my captain this game week. Uh, what about yourself, Adam? Uh, what are you planning in terms of transfers and captains?
2: So I'm reluctantly going to be... Taking as as things stand, and we looked at we're going to be getting rid of Abamyang. It was always part of the plan, and I think I'm going to, going to stick to it. And bringing in the penalty king Kamara. Um, he'll will just be on the bench. And then the plan is to move to a bigger midfield. And I'm going to be bringing Salah in. Um, I feel I've got to submit and tap out and bring him bring him into the to the equation. Not just the ownership side of things, but you know, he, he's. Keeping it simple is the the number nine in the he's playing as number nine in the best team in the country or one of the best teams in the country who would go in for the title, he, he, you know. And so I think he has to he has to come back in for me, um, and I'll probably captain captain Salah. Um, that, so that's what I'm looking at at the moment. I've been messing around with it on ways I could keep Bamian, but I think the the big thing is I don't I don't like two of his next four fixtures so. What I may do, and I think something that that you mentioned, Nick, is actually bringing back in and tag him back in in three or four three or four matches. I think when the Huddersfield game comes in, because he's got a nice run of three or four fixtures there, so that would be a good time to potentially bring him back in, depending on how Hazard's doing. Also, depending, I think around that time, you've got you will know who's in the um, League Cup final, and it could be Spurs, it could be Chelsea. So there'll be some options to to get you know to get rid of rid of those players.
1: It oh, certainly makes sense, and uh, yeah, also captaining uh, Salah as my initial kind of thought. Um, I think the men of white coats needs to kind of take me away though, because I'm I'm considering or Aubameyang this week against West Ham. Uh, if I do roll the transfer, that'll be what I do. If I don't roll the transfer, then I'm probably going to be compelled to put it on the on Mo Salah, uh, lest I have some hell in the cell in the uh, in the psychiatry ward there if not doing so. And um, probably be looking at bringing in somebody for Kane. I've got six point nine seven to spend on whoever I replace came with, um, I'm looking at Ashley Barnes there really and just having 1.5, 1.6 million to spend elsewhere um, that could be done this week that could be done next week but I think the imperative is to get a Liverpool defender in ahead of that home game in Crystal Palace which you know, could be a 1-0 or 2-0 or something like that but I fully expect Liverpool to keep a clean sheet there, so I think that will be what I do um, Let's see what happens in the Cup All right, there's a theme every week. Uh, Last time it was home alone, of course. Now, there were many, many glasses of Baileys consumed, many, many mince pies eaten since then. So we can't be sure who actually got it. Uh, But Lee Bishop and Jono Forward, we think, came in around the same time. So very many uh, congratulations, guys.
0: Yeah, congratulations guys, Um, and yeah, if you don't know who we are, of course you do, but we are Who Got The Assist, you can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL, or online at whogottheassist.com, and if you want to join our league, our league code is 516-441. We were joined today by Adam Hopcroft, if you want to follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at ahopcroft13, Adam, great to to have you on board for the pod i hope you enjoyed uh, listening yeah yeah you. thanks, thanks for having me on guys really appreciate it
1: yeah brilliant thank you uh we'll be back next weekend after game week 22 uh we'll be lamenting uh, kane's hat-trick after i sold him of course but for now we hope this assist you and we'll speak to you soon bye bye <laughs> bye bye right well done thank you very much everybody for doing that again no, let's just hope you didn't lose it <laughs> <laughs> The goal, who got the assist? Who got the assist?
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.